Chapter 9 of Pictures from Italy by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Ogus. To Rome by Pisa and Siena. There is nothing in Italy more beautiful to me than the coast road between Genoa and Spezia. On one side, sometimes far below, sometimes nearly on a level with the road, and often skirted by broken rocks of many shapes, there is the free blue sea, with here and there a picturesque felucca gliding slowly on. On the other side are lofty hills, ravines besprinkled with white cottages, patches of dark olive woods, country churches with their light open towers, and country houses gaily painted. On every bank and knoll by the wayside, the wild cactus and aloe flourish in exuberant profusion, and the gardens of the bright villages along the road are seen all blushing in the summer-time, with clusters of the belladonna, and are fragrant in the autumn and winter with golden oranges and lemons. Some of the villages are inhabited almost exclusively by fishermen, and it is pleasant to see their great boats hauled up on the beach, making little patches of shade, where they lie asleep, or where the women and children sit romping and looking out to sea, while they mend their nets upon the shore. There is one town, Camoglia, with its little harbour on the sea, hundreds of feet below the road, where families of mariners live, who, time out of mind, have owned coasting vessels in that place, and have traded to Spain and elsewhere. Seen from the road above, it is like a tiny model on the margin of the dimpled water, shining in the sun. Descended into by the winding mule tracks, it is a perfect miniature of a primitive seafaring town, the saltest, roughest, most piratical little place that ever was seen. Great rusty iron rings and mooring chains, capstans and fragments of old masts and spars choke up the way. Hardy rough-weather boats and seamen's clothing flutter in the little harbour or are drawn out on the sunny stones to dry. On the parapet of the rude pier a few amphibious-looking fellows lay asleep with their legs dangling over the wall, as though earth or water were all one to them, and if they slipped in they would float away, dozing comfortably among the fishes. The church is bright with trophies of the sea, and votive offerings, in commemoration of escape from storm and shipwreck. The dwellings not immediately abutting on the harbour are approached by blind low archways and by crooked steps, as if in darkness and in difficulty of access they should be like holds of ships or inconvenient cabins under water, and everywhere there is a smell of fish and seaweed and old rope. The coast road, whence Camoglia is described so far below, is famous in the warm season, especially in some parts near Genoa, for fireflies. Walking there on a dark night, I have seen it made one sparkling firmament by these beautiful insects, so that the distant stars were pale against the flash and glitter that spangled every olive wood and hillside, and pervaded the whole air. It was not in such a season, however, that we traversed this road on our way to Rome. The middle of January was only just past, and it was very gloomy and dark weather, very wet besides. 
In crossing the fine pass of Bracco, we encountered such a storm of mist and rain that we travelled in a cloud the whole way. There might have been no Mediterranean in the world for anything that we saw of it there, except when a sudden gust of wind, clearing the mist before it for a moment, showed the agitated sea at a great depth below, lashing the distant rocks and spouting up its foam furiously. The rain was incessant, every brook and torrent was greatly swollen, and such a deafening leaping and roaring and thundering of water I never heard the like of in my life. Hence when we came to Spezia we found that the Magra, an unbridged river on the high road to Pisa, was too high to be safely crossed in the ferry-boat, and were fain to wait until the afternoon of next day, when it had in some degree subsided. Spezia, however, is a good place to tarry at, by reason firstly of its beautiful bay, secondly of its ghostly inn, thirdly of the headdress of the women, who wear on one side of their head a small doll's straw hat stuck onto their hair, which is certainly the oddest and most roguish headgear that ever was invented. The Magra safely crossed in the ferry-boat, the passage is not by any means agreeable when the current is swollen and strong, we arrived at Carrara within a few hours. In good time next morning we got some ponies and went out to see the marble quarries. There are four or five great glens running up into a range of lofty hills until they can run no longer and are stopped by being abruptly strangled by nature. The quarries, or caves as they call them there, are so many openings high up in the hills on either side of these passes where they blast and excavate for marble, which may turn out good or bad, may make a man's fortune very quickly, or ruin him by the great expense of working what is worth nothing. Some of these caves were opened by the ancient Romans, and remain as they left them to this hour. Many others are being worked at this moment. Others are to be begun to-morrow, next week, next month. Other is unbought, unthought of, and marble enough for more ages than have passed since the place was resorted to, lies hidden everywhere, patiently awaiting its time of discovery. As you toil and clamber up one of these steep gorges, having left your pony soddening his girths in water a mile or two lower down, you hear every now and then echoing among the hills, in a low tone, more silent than the previous silence, a melancholy warning bugle, a signal to the miners to withdraw. Then there is a thundering and echoing from hill to hill, and perhaps a splashing up of great fragments of rock into the air, and on you toil again, until some other bugle sounds in a new direction, and you stop directly, lest you should come within range of the new explosion. There were numbers of men working high up in these hills, on the sides, clearing away and sending down the broken masses of stone and earth to make way for the blocks of marble that had been discovered. As these came rolling down from unseen hands into the narrow valley, I could not help thinking of the deep glen, just the same sort of glen, where the rock left Simbad the sailor, and where the merchants from the heights above flung down great pieces of meat for the diamonds to stick to. There were no eagles here to darken the sun in their swoop and pounce upon them, but it was as wild and fierce as if there had been hundreds. But the road, the road down which the marble comes, however immense the blocks, the genius of the country and the spirit of its institutions pave that road, 
repair it watch it keep it going conceive a channel of water running over a rocky bed beset with great heaps of stone of all shapes and sizes winding down the middle of this valley and that being the road because it was the road five hundred years ago imagine the clumsy carts of five hundred years ago being used to this hour and drawn as they used to be five hundred years ago by oxen whose ancestors were worn to death five hundred years ago as their unhappy descendants are now in twelve months by the suffering and agony of this cruel work two pair four pair ten pair twenty pair to one block according to its size down it must come this way in their struggling from stone to stone with their enormous loads behind them they die frequently upon the spot and not they alone for their passionate drivers sometimes tumbling down in their energy are crushed to death beneath the wheels but it was good five hundred years ago and it must be good now and a railroad down one of these steeps the easiest thing in the world will be flat blasphemy when we stood aside to see one of these cars drawn by only a pair of oxen for it had but one small block of marble on it coming down i hailed in my heart the man who sat upon the heavy yoke to keep it on the neck of the poor beasts and who faced backwards not before him as the very devil of true despotism he had a great rod in his hand with an iron point and when they could plough and force their way through the loose bed of the torrent no longer, and came to a stop, he poked it into their bodies, beat it on their heads, screwed it round and round in their nostrils, got them on a yard or two in the madness of intense pain, repeated all these persuasions with increased intensity of purpose when they stopped again, got them on once more, forced and goaded them to an abrupter point of the descent, and when they're writhing and smarting and the weight behind them bore them plunging down the precipice in a cloud of scattered water whirled his rod above his head and gave a great whoop and hello as if he had achieved something and had no idea that they might shake him off and blindly mash his brains upon the road in the noontide of his triumph standing in one of the many studii of carrara that afternoon for it is a great workshop full of beautifully finished copies in marble of almost every figure group and bust we know it seemed at first so strange to me that those exquisite shapes replete with grace and thought and delicate repose should grow out of all this toil and sweat and torture but i soon found a parallel to it and an explanation of it in every virtue that springs up in miserable ground and every good thing that has its birth in sorrow and distress and looking out of the sculptor's great window upon the marble mountains all red and glowing in the decline of day but stern and solemn to the last i thought my god how many quarries of human hearts and souls capable of far more beautiful results are left shut up and mouldering away while pleasure travellers through life avert their faces as they pass and shudder at the gloom and ruggedness that conceal them the then reigning duke of modena to whom this territory in part belonged claimed the proud distinction of being the only sovereign in europe who had not recognised louis philippe as king of the french he was not a wag but quite in earnest he was also much opposed to railroads 
and if certain lines in contemplation by the potentates on either side of him had been executed, would have probably enjoyed the satisfaction of having an omnibus plying to and fro across his not very vast dominions to forward travellers from one terminus to another. Carrara, shut in by great hills, is very picturesque and bold. Few tourists stay there, and the people are nearly all connected in one way or other with the working of marble. There are also villages among the caves where the workmen live. It contains a beautiful little theatre, newly built, and it is an interesting custom there to form the chorus of labourers in the marble quarries who are self-taught and sing by ear. I heard them in a comic opera and in an act of Norma, and they acquitted themselves very well, unlike the common people of Italy generally, who, with some exceptions among the Neapolitans, sing vilely out of tune and have very disagreeable singing voices. From the summit of a lofty hill beyond Carrara, the first view of the fertile plain in which the town of Pisa lies, with Leghorn a purple spot in the flat distance, is enchanting. Nor is it only distance that lends enchantment to the view, for the fruitful country and rich woods of olive trees through which the road subsequently passes render it delightful. The moon was shining when we approached Pisa, and for a long time we could see behind the wall the leaning tower, all awry in the uncertain light. The shadowy original of the old pictures in school books, setting forth the wonders of the world. Like most things connected in their first associations with school books and school times, it was too small. I felt it keenly. It was nothing like so high above the wall as I had hoped. It was another of the many deceptions practised by Mr. Harris, bookseller, at the corner of St. Paul's Churchyard, London. His tower was a fiction, but this was a reality, and by comparison a short reality. Still, it looked very well and very strange, and was quite as much out of the perpendicular as Harris had represented it to be. The quiet air of Pisa, too, the big guard-house at the gate, with only two little soldiers in it, the streets with scarcely any show of people in them, and the Arno, flowing quaintly through the centre of the town, were excellent. So I bore no malice in my heart against Mr. Harris, remembering his good intentions, but forgave him before dinner, and went out full of confidence to see the tower next morning. I might have known better, but somehow I had expected to see it, casting its long shadow on a public street where people came and went all day. It was a surprise to me to find it in a grave retired place, apart from the general resort, and carpeted with smooth green turf. But the group of buildings clustered on and about this verdant carpet, comprising the tower, the baptistry, the cathedral, and the church of the Campo Santo, is perhaps the most remarkable and beautiful in the whole world, and from being clustered there, together away from the ordinary transactions and details of the town, they have a singularly venerable and impressive character. It is the architectural essence of a rich old city, with all its common life and common habitations pressed out and filtered away. Simon compares the tower to the usual pictorial representations in children's books of the Tower of Babel. It is a happy simile, and conveys a better idea of the building than chapters of laboured description. 
nothing can exceed the grace and lightness of the structure nothing can be more remarkable than its general appearance in the course of the ascent to the top which is by an easy staircase the inclination is not very apparent but at the summit it becomes so and gives one the sensation of being in a ship that has heeled over through the action of an ebb tide the effect upon the low side so to speak looking over from the gallery and seeing the shaft recede to its base is very startling and i saw a nervous traveller hold on to the tower involuntarily after glancing down as if he had some idea of propping it up the view within from the ground looking up as through a slanted tube is also very curious it certainly inclines as much as the most sanguine tourist could desire the natural impulse of ninety-nine people out of a hundred who are about to recline upon the grass below it to rest and contemplate the adjacent buildings would probably be not to take up their position under the leaning side it is so very much a slant the manifold beauties of the cathedral and baptistry need no recapitulation from me though in this case as in a hundred others i find it difficult to separate my own delight in recalling them from your weariness in having them recalled there is a picture of st agnes by andrea del sarto in the former and there are a variety of rich columns in the latter that tempt me strongly it is i hope no breach of my resolution not to be tempted into elaborate descriptions to remember the campo santo where grass-grown graves are dug in earth brought more than six hundred years ago from the holy land and where there are surrounding them such cloisters with such playing lights and shadows falling through their delicate tracery on the stone pavement as surely the dullest memory could never forget on the walls of this solemn and lovely place are ancient frescoes very much obliterated and decayed but very curious as usually happens in almost any collection of paintings of any sort in italy where there are many heads there is in one of them a striking accidental likeness of napoleon at one time i used to please my fancy with the speculation whether these old painters at their work had a foreboding knowledge of the man who would one day arise to wreak such destruction upon art whose soldiers would make targets of great pictures and stable their horses among triumphs of architecture but the same corsican face is so plentiful in some parts of italy at this day that a more commonplace solution of the coincidence is unavoidable if pisa be the seventh wonder of the world in right of its tower it may claim to be at least the second or third in right of its beggars they waylay the unhappy visitor at every turn escort him to every door he enters at and lie in wait for him with strong reinforcements at every door by which they know he must come out the grating of the portal on its hinges is the signal for a general shout and the moment he appears he is hemmed in and fallen on by heaps of rags and personal distortions the beggars seem to embody all the trade and enterprise of pisa nothing else is stirring but warm air going through the streets the fronts of the sleepy houses look like backs they are all so still and quiet and unlike houses with people in them that the greater part of the city has the appearance of a city at daybreak or during a general siesta of the population or it is yet more like those backgrounds of houses in common prints or old engravings 
where windows and doors are squarely indicated and one figure a beggar of course is seen walking off by itself into illimitable perspective not so leghorn made illustrious by smollett's grave which is a thriving business-like matter-of-fact place where idleness is shouldered out of the way by commerce the regulations observed there in reference to trade and merchants are very liberal and free and the town of course benefits by them leghorn had a bad name in connection with stabbers and with some justice it must be allowed for not many years ago there was an assassination club there the members of which bore no ill-will to anybody in particular but stabbed people quite strangers to them in the streets at night for the pleasure and excitement of the recreation i think the president of this amiable society was a shoemaker he was taken however and the club was broken up it would probably have disappeared in the natural course of events before the railroad between leghorn and pisa which is a good one and has already begun to an astonish italy with a precedent of punctuality order plain dealing and improvement the most dangerous and heretical astonisher of all there must have been a slight sensation as of earthquake surely in the vatican when the first italian railroad was thrown open returning to pisa and hiring a good-tempered veterino and his four horses to take us on to rome we travelled through pleasant tuscan villages and cheerful scenery all day the roadside crosses in this part of italy are numerous and curious there is seldom a figure on the cross though there is sometimes a face but they are remarkable for being garnished with little models in wood of every possible object that can be connected with the saviour's death the cock that crowed when peter had denied his master thrice is usually perched on the tip-top and an ornithological phenomenon he generally is under him is the inscription then hung on to the cross-beam of the spear the reed with a sponge of vinegar and water at the end the coat without seam for which the soldiers cast lots the dice-box with which they threw for it the hammer that drove in the nails the pincers that pulled them out the ladder which was set against the cross, the crown of thorns, the instrument of flagellation, the lanthorn with which Mary went to the tomb, I suppose, and the sword with which Peter smote the servant of the high priest. A perfect toy-shop of little objects, repeated at every four or five miles all along the highway. On the evening of the second day from Pisa we reached the beautiful old city of Siena, there was what they called a carnival in progress, but as its secret lay in a score or two of melancholy people walking up and down the principal street in common toy-shop masks, and being more melancholy if possible than the same sort of people in England, I say no more of it. We went off betimes next morning to see the cathedral, which is wonderfully picturesque inside and out, especially the latter, also the market-place or great piazza, which is a large square with a great broken-nosed fountain in it, some quaint Gothic houses, and a high square brick tower, outside the top of which, a curious feature in such views in Italy, hangs an enormous bell. It is like a bit of Venice without the water. There are some curious old palazzi in the town, which is very ancient, and without having, for me, the interest of Verona or Genoa, it is very dreamy and fantastic, and most interesting. 
we went on again as soon as we had seen these things and going over a rather bleak country there had been nothing but vines until now mere walking sticks at that season of the year stopped as usual between one and two hours in the middle of the day to rest the horses that being a part of every vetturino contract we then went on again through a region gradually becoming bleaker and wilder until it became as bare and desolate as any scottish moors soon after dark we halted for the night at the osteria of la scala a perfectly lone house where the family were sitting round a great fire in the kitchen raised on a stone platform three or four feet high and big enough for the roasting of an ox on the upper and only other floor of this hotel there was a great wild rambling sala with one very little window in a by-corner and four black doors opening into four black bedrooms in various directions to say nothing of another large black door opening into another large black sala with the staircase coming abruptly through a kind of trap-door in the floor and the rafters of the roof looming above a suspicious little press skulking in one obscure corner and all the knives in the house lying about in various directions the fireplace was of the purest italian architecture so that it was perfectly impossible to see it for the smoke the waitress was like a dramatic brigand's wife and wore the same style of dress upon her head the dogs barked like mad the echoes returned the compliments bestowed upon them there was not another house within twelve miles and things had a dreary and rather a cut-throat appearance they were not improved by rumours of robbers having come out strong and boldly within a few nights and of their having stopped the mail very near that place they were known to have waylaid some travellers not long before on mount vesuvius itself and were the talk at all the roadside inns as they were no business of ours however for we had very little with us to lose we made ourselves merry on the subject and were very soon as comfortable as need be we had the usual dinner in this solitary house and a very good dinner it is when you're used to it there is something with a vegetable or some rice in it which is a sort of shorthand or arbitrary character for soup and which tastes very well when you have flavoured it with plenty of grated cheese lots of salt and abundance of pepper there is the half fowl of which this soup had been made there is a stewed pigeon with the gizzards and livers of himself and other birds stuck all around him there is a bit of roast beef the size of a small french roll there are a scrap of parmesan cheese and five little withered apples all huddled together on a small plate and crowding one upon the other as if each were trying to save itself from the chance of being eaten then there is coffee and then there is bed you don't mind brick floors you don't mind yawning doors nor banging windows you don't mind your own horses being stabled under the bed and so close that every time a horse coughs or sneezes he wakes you if you are good-humoured to the people about you and speak pleasantly and look cheerful take my word for it you may be well entertained in the very worst italian inn and always in the most obliging manner and may go from one end of the country to the other despite all stories to the contrary without any great trial of your patience anywhere especially when you get such wine in flasks as the orvieto and the montepulciano it was a bad morning when we left this place and we went for twelve miles over a country as barren as stony and as wild as cornwall in england 
until we came to Radicofani, where there is a ghostly goblin inn, once a hunting seat belonging to the Dukes of Tuscany. It is full of such rambling corridors and gaunt rooms that all the murdering and phantom tales that ever were written might have originated in that one house. There are some horrible old palazzi in Genoa, one in particular not unlike it outside, but there is a winding, creaky, wormy, rustling, door-opening, foot-on-staircase-falling character about this Radicofani hotel, such as I never saw anywhere else. The town, such as it is, hangs on a hillside above the house and in front of it. The inhabitants are all beggars, and as soon as they see a carriage coming, they swoop down upon it like so many birds of prey. When we got on the mountain pass which lies beyond this place, the wind, as they had forewarned us at the inn, was so terrific that we were obliged to take my other half out of the carriage, lest she should be blown over, carriage and all, and to hang to it on the windy side, as well as we could for laughing, to prevent its going heaven knows where. For mere force of wind this land-storm might have competed with an Atlantic gale, and had a reasonable chance of coming off victorious. The blast came sweeping down great gullies in a range of mountains on the right, so that we looked with positive awe at a great morass on the left, and saw that there was not a bush or twig to hold by. It seemed as if, once blown from our feet, we must be swept out to sea or away into space. There was snow and hail and rain and lightning and thunder, and there were rolling mists travelling with incredible velocity. It was dark, awful and solitary to the last degree. There were mountains above mountains, veiled in angry clouds, and there was such a wrathful, rapid, violent, tumultuous hurry everywhere as rendered the scene unspeakably exciting and grand. It was a relief to get out of it, notwithstanding, and to cross even the dismal, dirty papal frontier. After passing through two little towns, in one of which, Aquapendente, there was also a carnival in progress, consisting of one man dressed and masked as a woman, and one woman dressed and masked as a man, walking ankle-deep through the muddy streets, in a very melancholy manner, we came at dusk within sight of the lake of Bolzena, on whose bank there is a little town of the same name, much celebrated for malaria. With the exception of this poor place, there is not a cottage on the banks of the lake or near it, for nobody dare sleep there, not a boat upon its waters, not a stick or stake to break the dismal monotony of seven-and-twenty watery miles. We were late in getting in, the roads being very bad from heavy rains, and after dark the dullness of the scene was quite intolerable. We entered on a very different and finer scene of desolation next night at sunset. We had passed through Montefiascione, famous for its wine, and Viterbo for its fountains, and after climbing up a long hill of eight or ten miles extent, came suddenly upon the margin of a solitary lake, in one part very beautiful with a luxuriant wood, in another very barren and shut in by bleak volcanic hills. Where this lake flows there stood of old a city. It was swallowed up one day, and in its stead this water rose. There are ancient traditions, common to many parts of the world, of the ruined city having been seen below when the water was clear, but however that may be, from this spot of earth it vanished. 
The ground came bubbling up above it, and the water too, and here they stand like ghosts on whom the other world closed suddenly, and who have no means of getting back again. They seem to be waiting the course of ages for the next earthquake in that place, when they will plunge below the ground at its first yawning, and be seen no more. The unhappy city below is not more lost and dreary than these fire-charred hills and the stagnant water above. The red sun looks strangely on them, as with the knowledge that they were made for caverns and darkness, and the melancholy water oozed and sucked the mud, and crept quietly among the marshy grass and reeds, as if the overthrow of all the ancient towers and housetops, and the death of all the ancient people born and bred there, were yet heavy on its conscience. A short ride from this lake brought us to Ronsiglione, a little town like a large pigsty, where we passed the night. Next morning at seven o'clock we started for Rome. As soon as we were out of the pigsty, we entered on the Campagna Romana, an undulating flat, as you know, where few people can live, and where for miles and miles there is nothing to relieve the terrible monotony and gloom. Of all kinds of country that could, by possibility, lie outside the gates of Rome, this is the aptest and fittest burial ground for the dead city. So sad, so quiet, so sullen, so secret in its covering up of great masses of ruin and hiding them, so like the waste places into which the men possessed with devils used to go and howl and rend themselves in the old days of Jerusalem. We had to traverse thirty miles of this campagna, and for two and twenty we went on and on, seeing nothing but now and then a lonely house or a villainous-looking shepherd with matted hair all over his face and himself wrapped to the chin in a frowsy brown mantle, tending his sheep. At the end of that distance we stopped to refresh the horses and to get some lunch in a common malaria-shaken, despondent little public house whose every inch of wall and beam inside was, according to custom, painted and decorated in a way so miserable that every room looked like the wrong side of another room, and with its wretched imitation of drapery and lopsided little daubs of liars seemed to have been plundered from behind the scenes of some travelling circus. When we were fairly going off again, we began in a perfect fever to strain our eyes for Rome, and when, after another mile or two, the eternal city appeared at length in the distance, it looked like, I am half afraid to write the word, like London. There it lay under a thick cloud, with innumerable towers and steeples and roofs of houses rising up into the sky, and high above them all one dome. I swear that keenly as I felt the seeming absurdity of the comparison, it was so like London at that distance, that if you could have shown it me in a glass, I should have taken it for nothing else. End of chapter 9